Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thought. And the Lord will abundantly pardon. Yea, the Lord will have mercy on him. For my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Neither are your thoughts my thoughts. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your ways. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and waters the earth, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish that for which I have sent it. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scorning. But his delight, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law does he or she meditate, meditate, meditate day and night. And as a result, he or she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. Leaves will come in due season and whatsoever they do shall prosper. The Hebrew writer says that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces between the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit, and a critic of the thought and the intents of the heart. And I, like you, believe that the word of God is untainted and unmixed with error, divine in its origin, inspired in its totality, regenerative in its power, inexhaustible in its adequacy, but personal in its application. And we are here to hear him speak. You probably hear a lot of opinions during the week. You probably have some of your own. But I try to make sure when I'm in the word of God, among the people of God, that the only voice we're interested in hearing is him speak. In fact, I've learned that God blesses his word not necessarily what I say about it. And so we want to sit under his authority today. And I understand I have about 35 minutes. It takes me that long to clear my throat. <laughs> so if I'm going to finish in 35 minutes, I'll need you to say amen every now and then. Because saying amen to a black preacher is like saying sick him to a dog. <laughs> and if I'm going to finish in 35 minutes, if you hear something true every now and then, it'll help me if you say amen. Otherwise, I'm going to think you're not getting it and keep making the point. <laughs> amen. Listen, I'm very grateful to be here <clears throat> um, and uh, with you and uh, looking at your new digs and uh, wonderful edifice you have erected for him. In fact, let's appreciatively applause the Lord for this place. <laughs> Amen. I do not take for granted what it takes to build an ultra-modern utilitarian facility as you have done. 
And uh, I also want to thank you publicly for <clears throat> your pastor being on loan to the rest of us in the EPC, giving leadership to uh, church planting across the country. You afford him the opportunity and the latitude to be able to help lead us in that endeavor of great kingdom building in an ever-expanding circle of contact far beyond Kirkwood and the state of Missouri. So I want to thank you personally on behalf of many others for affording him that opportunity. In fact, let's appreciatively applause the Lord for him. Uh, both of you are blessed indeed. I want to take our time and uh, look at a familiar passage to some, unfamiliar to others. The last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven, Acts 1 and 8. These are his actual last words. As he was leaving this earth, he said this to his disciples, and you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. His last words, you will receive power, dynamic power. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Actually, in the Greek, it's my martyrs. You will become martyrs in Jerusalem and Judea. That's familiar territory. As well as Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is unfamiliar territory. And so I want to take our time to ask the question, what about Samaria? What strikes me in this passage, and anyone who reads it, is Samaria. Jesus specifically took out time to say, you are going to be my martyrs in Jerusalem and Judea. That's home base. That's where you're familiar. And I need you to be my witnesses, my martyrs there. But I also want you to be my witnesses and martyrs in Samaria, cross town, cross culture. Samaria, people who are stigmatized as second class citizens. Samaria, geographically close, but culturally distant. I want you to be my witnesses there as well. So Jesus the Jew made an issue out of Samaria. He was thoroughly Jewish in his customs, his diet, but he made an issue out of Samaria. Samaritans were half-breed. They were partial Jews and Assyrians. They were looked down upon by the Jews. In fact, there was no more uh, hateful a relationship in the Bible between Jews and Samaritans. But he made an issue out of Samaria. In fact, it was Jesus making this issue. In John 4, that's where we'll spend most of our time, 
he made an issue of meeting a woman of Samaria stigmatized by others, but he made a divine appointment to meet her in John 4. We'll go back to that in a minute. It was a Samaritan who was the hero in Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of? All right, you got it. Amen. Amen. It was astounding to his audience that he made a Samaritan the hero of his most famous parable. And then when they had been dispersed, they being the disciples to preach the gospel, a Samaritan village did not receive the gospel very well and James and John the sons of thunder said do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did and destroy this village and Jesus says no 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 he forbid them from destroying this Samaritan village and then Jesus healed 10 lepers at one point he healed those 10 lepers and as they were going to show themselves to the priest, one of them sneaked a peek and discovered that they were clean. And he stopped, turned around, came back, fell at Jesus' feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said, did I not heal ten? Where are the other nine? And the one who came back, Luke says, was a Samaritan. He was always making an issue out of Samaria. And so what I want to look at in John 4 are these four simple points that hopefully will challenge us and encourage us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Oh, gracious God, our Father, thank you for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the supply of your spirit and the fellowship of your saints we are here today to hear you speak in fact we say like Samuel in the days of old speak Lord for your servants are listening we ask now that you would teach our minds control our emotions govern our behavior and transform our lives for the sake of the kingdom and the glory of the high king do we pray and praise. Amen. Amen. So let me give you these four points and then I'll take my seat. One, there is no impact without contact. When Jesus said to his disciples, fellas, we are going to Samaria. This was not the routine of the day. In fact, Jews did everything possible to avoid Samaria. Only as a last result. But Jesus intentionally said we are going not just through, but to Samaria. No Jewish person woke up intentionally going to Samaria. But Jesus did. And because he had a divine appointment with a woman down there, he made an issue out of Samaria. And he understood and was teaching his disciples, there is no impact without 
contact. Let me see the hand of anybody here who's married or been married. Wow, that's the majority of the house. <clears throat> then you already know. There is no impact without contact. It never would have happened had you simply viewed from afar. You had to make some contact, emotional contact, some physical contact in order for there to be a relationship. Jesus was demonstrating this to his disciples by not just going through Samaria, but going to Samaria because he understood that we understand that there is no impact without none. Amen. You're helping me. Amen. Listen, you do not have to be like another person to minister the gospel to another person. Sometimes we would say, well, I haven't had that experience. Maybe you haven't. Or I'm not uh, at that level. Or I can't empathize. But, but to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, the great news of the gospel, you do not have to fit every condition to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, this was a Jewish man. A Jewish man who ministered to Gentiles, to a Samaritan. And that's what he came to do. So this woman came to Jesus, or came to this well at noon, an unusual time. Jesus was coming there, and he was tired from his journey, and he rested and he waited for this woman to come. Here was a Jew ministering to a Samaritan, a man ministering to a woman. You do not have to be of the same persuasion in order to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example in my own life. In my church in Houston, though I'm in Memphis, Tennessee now, <clears throat> our church in Houston, we would uh, partner with um, a suburban church and they would come out each, each year and do a week of vacation Bible school. And so we would train, uh, letting them know uh, the impact that they are going to make on our kids. Even though they felt uncomfortable, they were unfamiliar, they weren't confident, uh, felt a sense of inadequacy. And so we were in a room much like this, uh, going through various aspects of training. And I gave them an example of how someone cross-culturally can make a difference in your life. I told them about my fifth grade teacher, Joe Sorella. Joe Sorella was the first instructor I ever had that was non-black. In fact, 12 of us were bused from our neighborhoods to go to Tidwell Elementary as a part of uh, integration. My parents kept me out of school for two weeks in protest because they did not want me to go to a white school. Of course, there was fear and trepidation, and they tried to prepare me because they lost the administrative argument and said if he doesn't show up Monday, he's going to repeat the fourth grade. Well, I had to get on the bus, and they tried to warn me uh, what I would face with the other culture, protecting me. Joe Sorella was diametrically opposite 
of what they said he would be. He took us kids, initially all of the African-American kids, and he would play kickball with us. Tom Ship would play kickball with the other kids. And before long, we were all playing kickball together. He befriended me, and he made an impact on my life even to this day. I'll never forget it. So I'm telling that story in this auditorium. And at the end, a young woman raised her hand and said, Pastor Smith, can I say something? I said, absolutely. She said, Joe Sorella is my dad. I said, you, no, you've got to be kidding. He said, no, he is my dad. In fact, he said, there are five Sorellas in Houston, and we're all kin. And she pulled out her cell phone and called her dad and said, dad, guess who I'm talking to? There's a young man here named Rufus Smith. He just told a story about you when you were teaching in the fifth grade. Do you remember him? And she said, he said, I remember him. He was a quiet young man. Well, I certainly was quiet. Now, here's the kicker. I had been praying, asking God for 10 years, help me find Joe Sorella so I could say thank you. And he came to my house, met my kids. They had heard stories about Joe Sorella and had a chance to meet face to face. And I could say privately what I had said publicly because there is no impact without contact. Made a difference in my life. And you can do the same. Here's a second one. There is no information without conversation. There is no information without conversation. When Jesus met this woman at the well, listen to what he says. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. He sent them away on purpose because they would be too distracting as he was interfacing with this woman. This Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now we have to put ourselves in antiquity and understand the implications of when Jesus said, give me a drink. What this woman knew was happening that we might miss. She was saying to him, sir, first of all, you're a man and I'm a woman. Secondly all, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Third of all, you are a Jewish man. I am a Samaritan woman. You have nothing to draw from. When you say, give me a drink, what are you going to drink? Unless you are going to drink from my ladle and from my bucket, which means that you will actually put your mouth on utensils that have been in a Samaritan home. It boggled her mind that he engaged her in this conversation because Jesus was teaching you and I there is no information 
without conversation. Give me a drink. And she was so astounded. She said, you must not be from around here. What planet did you come from? Don't you know that Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with each other? Jesus said, ah, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, then you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living waters that you would not have to come here and drink from again. And she said, oh, sir, give me this water. He engaged her in conversation. Remember, the Samaritans were also Jews. Jesus came, uh, a small theological point, to unite the house of Israel. He did not want to forget those who had been forgotten, those who were half-breeds, who were second-class citizens, who were cross-town, cross-culture, who were geographically close but socially distant because he came to be the Messiah to all of Israel and bring them back into oneness. That's what he wants to do with you and with me. Maybe we thought in America we were over all of the racial issues, but recent times tell us that that's not the case. Amen? Amen. And he wants us to lead the effort in order to be one. Listen, I'm telling you I've lived long enough to know that it does not matter if you're black or white, yellow, brown, rich or poor, up or down, suburbanite or urbanite, in the city, out of the city, blue collar, white collar, Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative, hawk or dove. If Jesus Christ is the center and circumference, if he's the sum and substance and the basis and boundary of all that we ever hope to be, we can lead this charge to unity. That's a good place to say amen. amen. <laughs> there is no information without. Here's the third thing Jesus teaches. There are no deepened relationships without loving confrontation so this woman says give me a drink so that I won't have to come and draw anymore she really wasn't quite tracking with him as of yet and Jesus asked her seemingly a disconnected question and said go call your husband she said now I would have said what does that got to do with our conversation <laughs> I asked for a drink and you say, go call my husband. It's a non sequitur. It seemingly has no relationship one to the other. But there are no deepened relationships without loving confrontation. Jesus has spent the time to build some equity in this short period of time. And now he decided to spend it. Because he was doing something and engaging that nobody else had ever done with her. So go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you answered truthfully. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not yours. Now here's what this lady understood. Sir, you're a prophet. Yes. He said, well, when Messiah comes, He'll tell us all of these things. And Jesus said something to her that he didn't say, but on three other occasions. He said, the one who's speaking to you is the Messiah. He never admitted that, 
But in this case, because he wanted Samaria to understand who he was, he acknowledged that I am the Messiah. I want you to catch what this woman understood. Wait a minute. You a prophet? You've been talking to me all this time? And you knew that I had five husbands? And the one I have now is not mine? You knew that I've been stigmatized? You knew my situation and yet... You made a divine appointment with me, yet you engaged me in comfort. You knew all about me and still engaged me. That's what she understood. And when she understood that, the Bible says she got so excited, like I'm getting right now, and left her water pot and ran into the city and said, y'all need to come see a man, a man that knows everything about me and yet, who loves me? Jesus took the time that he had engaged, the uh, capital that he had invested, and he decided to spend it talking about a sensitive issue in her life. There is no deepened relationships without loving confrontation. And then lastly, and hope when I say lastly, people clap. <laughs> Lastly, there is no salvation without incarnation. The word salvation means to expand. It means to breathe. It means liberation. It means to rescue. It means to deliver. And Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples that there is no deliverance, no rescue, no expansion, no liberation without incarnation. That's a big word for meaning that somebody has got to be present. Somebody has got to show others how to do it. And the only way that I can be a witness is that I need to be a witness. I have to see it up close. So there is no salvation, no rescue, no deliverance if I'm not willing to be a part of the incarnation. People have to see it up close for themselves. After all, that's why you and I are in the kingdom because he came down. That's an incarnation. The highest of the high became the lowest of the low. The richest of the rich became the poorest of the poor. He came down. Down. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the God man, incarnated into human flesh and he came down. There was a baby born older than his mother who said, Before Abraham was, I already am. He came down and he said to this woman, If you knew who it was asking you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink. And he would give you living water. The woman was so excited, she ran into town. Now the disciples, on the other hand, when they came back, the Bible said they were astonished that he was talking to this woman of Samaria. Astonished because they knew it was unheard of. But there is no salvation Without what? Somebody has got to personally do it. Now lastly, 
when she went and said, come see a man. The Bible says that many from the town of Samaria came and as they were coming, Jesus said to his disciples, look at this harvest. Look at this harvest. They all came out to meet the man that this woman was so excited about. Come see a man, a real man who told me everything that I've ever done. And that's all you and I are called to do, to go into Samaria, unfamiliar territory, and invite people to come see a man who has made the difference in our lives. Come see a man who has answers for your agonies and balm for your bruises, cures for your calamities. Come see a man who can deliver you from distress, erase your errors, fix your faults, gladden you when you're gloomy, heighten you when you're hopeless. Come see a man who can identify with your infirmities, who can juxtapose your joys and sorrows, lift you when you're low, kiss you with kindness, be near you when you need him most. Come see a man who knows everything about me and yet who still loves me. And this crowd came out and they said to him, we now believe not because of what you said, but because we have seen and heard him for ourselves. There is no salvation without incarnation. Somebody has got to see it up close. Amen. Watch this. Watch this. And then they had the temerity, they had the audacity to say to him, will you stay with us another couple of days? You didn't catch that. Now the disciples were beside themselves. Now hold, hold on. We had to come not just through this place, but to this place. We went into town to buy food. We've never done that before. Surely they waiting with bated breath. Jesus, you are not going to tell us to No, no. And the Bible says he stayed overnight in Samaria for two whole days. Ah, I love his word. And I love the fact that Green Tree wants to make a difference, not just in Kirkwood, but in Samaria. I'll go to my seat if you get this right. <laughs> there is no impact without. There is no information without. There are no deepened relationships without loving. And there is no salvation. Without. Y'all sure want to go to lunch, don't you? You got it right. <laughs> Pray with me. Oh, gracious God, our Father. Thank you particularly during this Advent season that we are reminded afresh that you came down. And through your incarnation as a God-man, wrapped in humanity for 33 years. You've demonstrated to us there is no impact without contact. And oh, thank you for making the first move toward us. And knowing everything you know about us still loved us. 
Would you teach us that there is no information without conversation? We, we don't talk to each other enough. And it simply breeds fear, ignorance. And help us to remember that once we have gained trust and earned equity after engaging people across different cultures, help us to deepen that relationship with loving confrontation. I pray your blessings on Green Tree as they lead this community toward helping it become one, which is your high priestly prayer. Father, make them one. Like you are in me and I am in you, make them one in us so that the world might believe that you have sent me. So continue to bring rescue, liberation, expansion, deliverance, not only to our personal lives, and not only to those people in our familiar territories, but also in the unfamiliar territories. In the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior, do we pray and we praise you. Amen.